Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger. We are going to be reading Matthew 21 to 23, Mark 11, Luke 19 to 20, and John 12. Okay, let me rephrase that. We're going to be reviewing, um, and we'll be reading some of that. <laughs> Just because sometimes we like to skip around. Okay, um, this week's teaching tip is to remember that we are playing the long game. The long game. We're in it for the whole thing. Um, and there's some of the things that Redheaded Hostess um, has suggested. She said that because of the business that she's in, basically, you know, um, providing scripture study guides and stuff for us, she has heard so many common struggles. And these are all the common struggles that people have been um, mentioning to her because they are frustrated um, to tr- while you're while people are trying to teach their kids. So I want to put this here too because I want you to know that you're not the only one struggling with trying to get your kids motivated and have a desire to read scriptures and to have a connection with Christ and to have a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to have a testimony of Jesus Christ and his atonement and his love for us. You know, there's so many things. Anyway, so these are the struggles. It says, my kids won't sit still. I don't have time. Everyone's schedules conflict and there is no time to study the gospel. I get too overwhelmed. My husband is not supportive. My wife is not supportive. I don't feel confident in teaching the gospel. Um, I'm pretty sure that we felt these at times, I have personally felt all of these, (laughs) every single one of them. Um, and sometimes I'm the non-supportive one as well. And because of some reason or another, right. Uh, and Satan's always going to be like sending obstacles our way because that's what he wants to do. He does not want us to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you ever feel like you don't want to, that you can know that that feeling is coming straight from the adversary. Um, but don't take your eye off building your children's spiritual foundation because we're in the last days and we can't take our focus off of that and we can't take our focus off of Jesus Christ. So it's important to remember that like even the families that have it all together and know how to have consistent and successful gospel teaching in their home. I feel like sometimes we're really great and sometimes we're really not. <laughs> and so let, uh, let's remember this quote from Elder David A. Bednar, this story, I guess, uh, from General Conference in 2009. He said this, and it was like so validating um, to all of us, I think, because I think this was the first time anyone in General Conference um, spoke about how their family did scripture um, study or reading or any kind of gospel learning in the home, at least anything that I can remember that was super validating to what we were doing. So I remember this is 2009, October, which means this was when Finn was born, the year Finn was born. So this message was straight to us. (laughs) So he says, sometimes Sister Bednar and I wondered if our efforts to do these spiritually essential things were worthwhile. Now, or now and then verses of scripture were read amid outbursts such as he's touching me. 
make him stop looking at me. Mom, he's breathing on my, he's breathing my air. Sincere prayers occasionally were interrupted with giggling and poking. <laughs> End quote. I love that he said that um, because, because he said that it has been such a good comfort to know that even a prophet of the Lord has had kids who are a little rambunctious. And then another quote that stands, um, that sticks out of my mind about kids and them not being able to sit still is uh, from President Monson. He said that our spirits are already the full grown size, but trying to uh, fit our full grown spirit into tiny bodies is going to take some adjustment. And sometimes that adjustment means that they're gonna get wiggly and they're gonna get rowdy and they're gonna get um, crazy. And so it is expected and totally normal for our kids to act crazy. Now, the attitude that you take when your kids act like that is going to dictate the attitude of your scripture study. And I know because sometimes my attitude's super great about um, everybody being silly. And then sometimes my attitude's super frustrated. And so I can tell the difference when I'm super frustrated at everybody for not paying attention and not sitting still and not doing the things, then it doesn't go well. And, um, but when I am able to, you know, play it off, everybody's silly. It's fine that they're silly. We just keep going. It's such a better experience overall. So just remember that when your kids are big or little, uh, but I mean, when you're big, <laughs> my, when my kids are big and they have kids, um, <laughs> this is what you might experience. And so it was really awesome that he gave that talk just like 10 months after Finn was born, because we have used it ever since. We have used that as like a comfort ever since. Okay, so the trick is to just not waver in our commitment to find ways to keep going. Just don't waver, find ways to keep going and um, get back on track or find ways to reignite the fire or find ways to move past discouragement that Satan's going to tell you like, well, I guess you missed a day or well, I guess you missed a week or well, I guess you missed a month or a year, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. You're still here. You're still here today and you can start right now. No better time. So <clears throat> remember we're playing the long game and this is going to be full of ups and downs. So that is just a reminder that we need to have for our scripture study. As I was uploading the um, oh, Ralph says he hears Flora, so we're going to have to pause for a minute. Thank you, sir. Okay, I really love this story of uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus? I don't know. Anyway, um, that's going to be one of the things that we cover in this section, but we're just to give you a little heads up about Zacchaeus, he, uh, Jericho was a rich city because it was along the route 
that led to Egypt and had become a center of trade. Um, due to the commerce occurring there, the taxes and tributes flowed into Jericho and the publicans were responsible for the collection of those taxes. Zacchaeus was the chief publican in Jericho, which means he oversaw the other publicans who collected the taxes and his position had brought riches into his life and he was also a righteous Jew, although other Jews despised him because he was a publican. Publicans were detested by the Jews and any Jew who undertook the way the work was excommunicated. So well, that's kind of sad. And Jesus asked to abide or stay in Zacchaeus's home. One reason this is significant was that Jericho was a priestly city, which means many temple priests live there. Ultimately, Jesus chose to stay in a publican's home over a priest or other religious leader. So that was like a big deal. Okay, so first we're reading Luke 19, 1 to 15, I think. We'll see how far we go. Okay, one. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. Oh, man. So he was a rich guy that nobody liked, and he was short. There you go, Finn. I was talking about the height of people. So imagine a little guy who is rich, right? And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. So he was hoping to see Jesus, right? And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to, the, to be guest with a man that is a sinner. So they didn't know anything about Zacchaeus, okay, except for the fact that he collected taxes, which to collect taxes is not a sin, not even in the Ten Commandments at all. <laughs> and saying with Zacchaeus was just super unpopular, right? And Zacchaeus, so number eight, and Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor and if i have taken anything for any man by false accusation i restore him fourfold and jesus said unto him this day is salvation come to this house for so much as he also is a son of abraham for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Okay, so, they, so then he started speaking a parable, but I really love the fact that Zacchaeus just was trying to do the best he could and he was so honest with all his dealings that even when people falsely accused him of stealing he would restore them fourfold which is like four times the amount like somebody says that you stole 
you know, 40 bucks from somebody, right? Why did I choose 40? That's a bad number to multiply. Uh, you stole 20 bucks. <laughs> and I'm so bad at the maths, you guys. I need to go back to school. Um, you stole 20 bucks. Somebody's accusing you. And he would pay them back $80, even though he never even stole the $20. But that's how much he was trying so hard to be um, righteous. And, but he was already excommunicated from the church. It's, that was part of their thing. And that is just sad. You know, that this guy who's trying to be so good gets such a bad rap. And people, I, I think it's what happens when people get rich. People just think, oh, they're rich and they're bad people because they they scammed somebody, right? Just automatically people think that that's what happens. And that's not true. So just try to be the best that you can at no matter what you're doing and, and be honest in everything that you do so that nobody ever... Um, well, just be honest in everything that you do. I, obviously, I can't say nobody will accuse you because clearly this guy was so good. But what I'm saying is that way you'll have a pure conscience and know that you are an honest person. And that was what Zacchaeus had. He, he had that honest, he was honest and had that pure uh, conscience about himself because he knew that he was always keeping the commandment to not steal and not lie and stuff. And so he was telling that to Jesus and, and Christ was just like, yeah, I'm going to be at your house, you know? And he was so excited because he came down and received him joyfully. And, and I think that's awesome. And I, I think that it's that the Lord sees your effort, even if everybody else doesn't. And that is what's most important. The talk that comes to mind is, um, what think ye of Christ? Is it that one? Or it's not, what thinks Christ of me? I think that's the talk. Elder Cook, maybe? Anyways, that's the talk that I, I, I know that there's another talk that says, what think ye of Christ? Um, and that one's more recent, I think, but there's an older one. Anyway, look it up, because the most important thing is not what other people think of you, but what Christ thinks of you. Okay, so just make sure that you're doing the things that you know you need to, to stay right with God, because that is the most important. Okay, then the Lord started speaking uh, a parable. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou, and he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little have thou authority over ten cities? And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another 
came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee because thou art an austere man, austere man. Thou takest up that thou laidest not down and repeatest that thou didst not slip, that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, then gavest thou, gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might, I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Okay, so there's a Joseph Smith translation for that verse number 26. Um, let me see if I can find it. Okay, so in the Joseph Smith translation for this verse, it's interesting to note what it says here. It's not that the Lord's going to take away from those that you don't even have anything. Obviously, you can't take away anything if you don't have anything. The Lord's not trying to be mean to people who have nothing. But basically, he says, uh, who occupieth? So, so, who occupieth shall be given, and from him who occupieth not, even that he hath received, shall be taken away from him. So basically, like, if you have, everyone has been given blessings from the Lord. And if you don't take those blessings and multiply them, if you don't take those skills, talents, blessings, privileges, all those things, and multiply them to serve people around you and in your communities and in your families, then he's going to take that away from you. When the Lord gives us promptings to do some things using our skills and our talents, he is trying to help you learn who you are and what you're capable of. But if you're not going to take those promptings, he will give those promptings to somebody else. Okay, so now this is, some, this is a bad example, maybe, but I think it's a good example. So, for example, we, I just passed by. Um, we needed to go to one of Finn's games. And we needed to go down um, Lehigh Main Street, okay? And we had been talking a long time ago when we used to live in Eagle Mountain. This was before Finn was born, so any time before 2009, okay? We had been thinking about, contemplating, talking about getting this building that was on Lehigh Main Street, and it was pretty demolished. It was really destroyed, but it was a really nice location right on the main street that like literally so many cars pass by and really close to a school and everything like it was right there and um but because it was like all broken down you know nobody was doing anything with it and um basically you would need to demo the whole thing and kind of start over um, however, like the things that were next to it were different things. 
like different shops and stuff. And so, um, we had gotten the idea, maybe me, I don't know if Clark did, but, um, I got the idea like, Hey, we should buy that place. As soon as they had a for sale sign up, we were like, we should buy that place. <laughs> and at the time, let me tell you, it was like $149,000. Like it seemed, it seems now super cheap and like, we should have got it. Right. But we didn't get it. Um, it was kind of expensive. So we would, it would have taken time to develop it because we would have had to demo it. And then we would have had to build the building that goes, that replaces it. Right. And the parking wasn't so good. So there were some, there were some things that we loved about it. And then there were some things that we didn't love about it. Anyways, we never bought it. Okay. So years later, we drive, we're driving down to Finn's soccer game. Now Finn's born 14 years old. So I drive by and this building is the tallest building in that area. And it is gorgeous. Now you might be thinking, wow, you should have done it. And yeah, I totally think I should have done it. But guess what? We didn't take that prompting and we did nothing with it. So somebody else got that prompting to do something with a broken down building that could help their family, that could help serve the community, that could do something instead of just taking up space and doing nothing because it was broken down. And so that's what I'm talking about. You know, the Lord is going to take away the idea or the prompting from you and it's going to give it to somebody else. And if you don't act on it, somebody else will. Okay. And that is the difference between what the Lord is saying. Or, and that's what it, the Lord is saying here. Like, I am giving you blessings and talents and means and things for you to turn your life into something that you're going to be excited about and proud of. And, you know, but if you don't take those, then I'm going to give that to somebody else. And that person is going to, and hopefully that person acts on that. And if that person doesn't, then we're going to give it to somebody. You know what I mean? So, so take those promptings, do something about those promptings, because if you don't, somebody else will. Okay. You've got to act the difference between the people who are making a difference and the people who are not are the people who are acting on those promptings. And so the story here that Jesus is trying to teach people is to not just sit on stuff. Don't just sit on your stuff because you're scared. You know, it said that for he feared, I feared thee for I feared thee. Okay. Yeah. Well, it is scary getting yourself out there and doing things that people have never done before and that you've never done before. And you don't know what it's like, you know, but it's going to be worth it is what he's saying. Right. So go out and do the thing that he's trying to get you to do, because the only thing that's going to be, uh, the only person who's going to benefit from this is you like you're going to benefit, right? The Lord, he was able to give people more stuff. What does that even mean? That means you're going to get more stuff. That means you're going to get more blessings, more talents, more means, more things, because he now knows what you're capable of. Well, because you now know what you're capable of. So when he gives you stuff, you're going to do it. Whereas before, when he gave you stuff and the person feared him, he wasn't going to do anything with it. So why would the Lord give those to those, to the people that are doing nothing with it? Okay. So it's not that he doesn't trust you to give you things. Okay. Cause he's already given you stuff. Now, what have you done with that? And then 
once you've done something with those things that he has given you, then he will give you more because he knows you're going to do something about it. Otherwise, if he knows you're just going to sit on it, why is he giving you line upon line if you're stuck on the same line, right? If you're stuck on the one line and you don't want to step up to the next, it's like a staircase. You're sitting at the edge of the stair, at the bottom of the staircase, right? And you think there's no more staircase, but guess what? As soon as you move up and use that staircase to go up, that's the only thing that you have left to do is continue to go up and it is hard. So anyways, there you have it. Um, I love that story. The parable of, it's like the parable of the talents, but this one's the parable of the pounds. Um, okay. And then I love Zacchaeus's story as well. So we're going to read a little bit over here from president Henry B. Iron. He says, Walking with the Savior will teach you to see others through his eyes, which means seeing past an outward appearance and into the heart. This is how the Savior was able to see Simon, not as an impulsive fisherman, but as Peter, the rock-solid future leader of his church. This is how he was able to see Zacchaeus, not as the corrupt tax collector others saw him as, but as an honest, upright son of Abraham. If you walk with the Savior long enough, you will learn to see everyone as a child of God with limitless potential, regardless of what his or her past may have been. And if you continue walking with the Savior, you will develop another gift. He has the ability to help people see that potential in themselves and so repent. Oh, end quote. That was so good. April 2017 General Conference by President Henry B. Eyring. Okay. And, you know, I have to love Zacchaeus for jumping up on the tree, you know. He was one, he didn't even know if Jesus Christ was the Messiah, was the one that people were talking about. He was just curious. And so he got on the tree. He put himself in a spot where he could learn more about Jesus Christ. And that is what we need to do. We, we need to get curious about who he is for us because it won't matter. Just like it doesn't matter what other people said about Zacchaeus. It also doesn't matter. He didn't care about what people were saying about Jesus Christ. He wanted to know for himself. And that is what we need to do. We need to do the reverse. You know, we need to be like Zacchaeus and get curious about who Jesus Christ is and who he is for us and how we can get to know him better. And Something I always like to joke around with is, or joke about is the fact that Jesus Christ invited himself to Zacchaeus's house. He had no idea the state of his house or anything like that, or if it was clean or organized or dirty or whatever, or the dishes are all piled up in his house. But he invited himself over and Zacchaeus was like excited about it, right? He didn't say no. And so from now on, I'm going to invite myself over to people's houses and... Don't take no for an answer. Just kidding. No, I, if they say no, you know, then that's okay. But I'm just saying like, it's okay to invite yourself over to your friend's house. It's okay to invite yourself over to, um, to hang out with, with somebody because you never know. I mean, the, what's the worst they can say? No, no, but who knows? Maybe they'll be excited about you coming over. So be careful. We're going to start inviting ourselves over. Hey, what are you guys doing for Sunday dinner? 
can we come over to your house on Sunday? <laughs> I'm coming, you know, normal. And it's so funny. Like, and then we just say that we're trying to be like Jesus, you know, because that's what he did. So that could be our challenge for this week. See whose house you can get invited or see whose house you can invite yourself to for dinner because we're reading this chapter. Okay. Um, and then let's see. I was finishing this scripture. Oh, I did read it. Okay, so we're done with Luke chapter 19 for now. We read from 1 to 27. Okay, I wanted to cover some of... Hold on a second. Okay, my batteries might be running out soon. <laughs> I forgot to charge it last night. So we'll see how far we go in this. Okay. Um, we're in John chapter 12, verse 12, and it's the triumphal entry. And I just love this because this is when Jesus really gets to feel the love that everybody has for him. And like, I would have totally been here And one of my favorite scenes, I think in the Book of Mormon videos or not Book of Mormon, um, in the Bible videos is this scene and one of the camera shots comes from like between some little leaves and I'm like, oh, that's where I would be climbing up. You know, I'm like, I'd like to picture myself as Zacchaeus, like, to like nobody likes me, but the Lord can see me. Right. And so that's kind of like how I always picture myself. If I was at the triumphal entry, I would have totally been late because that's normal for me, but I would have found a way to get a really good view of the savior and him coming in and anyways that's just how i like to picture picture myself okay um so verse 12 on the next day much people that were came that were come to the feast when they had heard that jesus was coming to jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried hosanna blessed is the king of israel that cometh in the name of the lord and jesus when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered that, they, that these things were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus, out of his grave and raised him from the dead bear record for this cause the people also met or met him for that they heard that he had done this miracle the pharisees therefore said among themselves perceive ye how ye prevail nothing behold the world is gone after him and when okay and so that was um john and then in matthew it says and when they drew nigh unto jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, they sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. So, um, opposition. Oh, hold on. We're almost there. Um, number three. And if any man say aught unto you, Ye shall say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Um, just a little side note, it says, ought 
is opposition asking what they are doing with the animals. So if somebody like questioned them, right, about bringing the animals. And it says, and this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, and this is the prophet uh, Zechariah in, or Zacharias, uh, I can't remember. Um, but it's found in Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. It says, tell ye the daughter of Sion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes. And they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. So they used whatever they could, that whatever they had for the Lord. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now, if they did this for a prophet or who they thought was a prophet, imagine if they really knew who he was, right? I think um, that we're going to be doing a whole bunch more than that. Uh, so, uh, and then... There's another account in Mark 11, 1 to 11, but I figured you guys got that. And so, um, as Jesus approached Jerusalem for the last time, it was five days now before his death, and he would enter Jerusalem without hiding who he was, the King of Kings. Many wondered if he could, if he would come to Jerusalem for the Passover and what might take place if he came. He instructed two of his disciples to go to a specific place where they would find a donkey, a donkey and a colt. A colt is a young donkey or foal, probably the offspring of the adult donkey. And the owner would give consent for Jesus to use them if the disciples were questioned. Tell them that Jesus needs them and right away they would send the donkey and colt to Jesus. Jewish kings were known to ride a donkey during times of peace. Rather than a horse, which would be a symbol of war, which would, would have alerted the Romans. And to do so was very dignified. If Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem to the Jews, it was a public symbol that he was a king and he was coming in meekness and peace. Zechariah prophesied of the Messiah entering into Jerusalem or Zion in a peaceful, not warsome manner um, upon a donkey. So that's why... I made sure to mention that part. And this entry into Jerusalem is called the triumphal entry. A triumphal entry was not unique to Jesus. It was a ceremonial entrance of a person into a city. For example, a Roman general might have a triumphal entry into a city. Jesus was using customs of his day to teach people who he was. Mm, that's awesome. Okay, and then there's a video that you can look up. It's called the Lord's triumphal entry or entry into Jerusalem on churchofjewschrist.org. Okay. And um, it was so interesting that some people were like not sure, you know, who he was. Who is this guy? Because now everybody's gathering together to find out what the commotion is, right? 
And I'm sure that if somebody was running, they would be like, where are you going? Where's everybody going, right? Because there'd be like so many people. And it'd be like, oh, well, we're going to go see Jesus, right? And Jesus is coming. And they would probably ask us questions like, who's Jesus? And that is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Who is Jesus to us, right? And I think that that is a really important question for us to ponder, for us to think about for the rest of our lives every day. Today, who is Jesus for us, right? I think every day it can change. Remember when we were reading the Doctrine and Covenants and one day one of, um, there was a, I can't remember his name, but one one day one man was so determined that he was gonna go and serve and serve a mission and everything and he wanted to get a calling and to go to go. And then the very next day, he's not there, not anywhere. And, you know, um, he's gone, right? Like, no, he didn't die, but it was the fact that from one day to the next, we'll be Christ's one day and the next day, you know, we need to continue to feed our testimony, continue to grow it so that we're not so uh, fickle or taken over by by the adversary's tactics, you know, because he's going to try and take us down no matter what. And I think it's important for us to remember when our uh, when we have missionaries who are called, there's a period of time when they're called and then when they have to go. And just like this one man, he was called to serve and the next day he was gone, right? It just happens like that. And um, it can happen again, but you can like return to Christ. You can be converted again. You can repent and come back, right? The next day, even after that. And um, I think it's important for us to remember that if our, if men who were called on missions back in the day during the, uh, during the, well, I call it the restoration, but I know now that we're still experiencing the restoration. Um, but back when the the church first was organized, um, if men then could be swayed after they got their mission call and literally they were leaving, it wasn't like months later, it was like right away practically, right? That we can too be swayed and our, our missionaries who have been called, our children can also be swayed and we need to do things to continue to strengthen them every day, continue to help them know what their path is so um just that thought right there just had me thinking i have not taken a picture of faust in dad's suit yet and his missionary tag so i think that would be a good picture for us to take because that way he can see himself as a missionary someday and hopefully his suit will fit by then (laughs) um okay i'm gonna write that down hold on okay i had to write that down in my journal Okay, and let's see, here in Luke chapter 19, 28 to 48. So, and when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you, and in the which ye are... You in the which at your entering, ye shall find 
a colt tied, whereon yet never man set loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you why ye do, why do ye loose him, thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments um, upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he that they had seen. Okay, and this is, we love the um, Lamb of God Orchestra performance from Spire Music. Anyway, it's amazing. And this is a part in there. And so now I'm like thinking of the song. Um, okay. Verse 38, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Okay, and this is like one of my favorite parts. It says, And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Oh, and it's so true because that's like everything bears record of Jesus Christ. And I just think it's powerful that he would say that, that he would know that, that that would happen. Um, and so he said that to them. And I guess this is Luke's account of the triumphal entry. And Luke gives us the additional information that the Pharisees told Jesus to rebuke the disciples. And then, you know, Jesus says, that the stones would cry out. So another translation could say the very stones will cry out. So this could reference the stones in the ground or the stones in the walls around the city. If it was the city, consider the stone, the stories of the Old Testament of faithful Jews rebuilding the walls after Babylon had destroyed it. Faithful Jews who had trusted in the Lord and risked their lives in order to rebuild their holy city. So those are like the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah. So that's what he was trying to say. Like, if I did that, then everything's going to tumble down, right? You do not want that. So, um, okay, here we go. Okay, this next um, section covers where Jesus weeps over the city. So, let's this up. Okay, so, and when he was come near, the, near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, if thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes, for the days shall come unto thee that thine enemies shall cast the trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. So President David O. McKay says this in general conference. He said, according to tradition, when these words were spoken, Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives opposite a point in the walls surrounding Jerusalem, a few yards south of the gate. Beautiful. From this spot, one may behold a beautiful view of that historic city. It is wonderfully 
picturesque with its quaint flat-roofed houses, church towers, and mosque domes covering the four hills on which J Jerusalem is built. The view is impressive even now. It must have been inspiring when Jesus beheld it in all its Herodian splendor. But it was the inhabitants of the city, not the beautiful buildings or the commanding view that the Savior saw through tear bed through tear bedimmed eyes, bedimmed eyes, when he cried, If thou hast known the things which belongeth which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. He saw the people divided into conflicting into conflicting and contending sects, each professing more holiness and righteousness than the other, and all closing their eyes to the truth. End quote. And that's David O. McKay, October 1944 conference report. And, you know, I think it's important for us to note that when we have conflict, when we fight as humans, when we, as brothers and sisters, do not love each other and do not act like good siblings, he weeps, he cries, and and it, and I know that that's true because when our kids fight and have conflict, I'm sad and I want to cry about it. And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. It just depends on what it is, you know. But when we're not experiencing that peace in our family and when brothers don't aren't kind to each other or when brothers aren't kind to their sister, it makes me sad. And so I can only imagine the sadness that Jesus experienced and the sadness that Heavenly Father experiences over us, even now when we're all so divided. Now we're going to read that Jesus casts out of the temple for a second time. Jesus casts things out. Okay, it's a, uh, where are we at? Luke 19, 45. And when he went, and he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Okay, and then in Matthew we read this similar account and jesus went into the temple of god and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them it is written my house shall be called a house of prayer but ye have made it a den of thieves and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them and this uh verse 15 has a joseph smith translation so to look it up and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying hosanna to the son of david they were sore displeased and said unto him hearest thou what these say and jesus saith unto them yea have ye never heard have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise so he's basically saying that brand new believers are the ones that are so excited to share the good news share their testimony that's what we want to be we want to be so excited to share his good news all the time so how can we do that? And then number 17, and he left them and went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there. Okay. So 
the temple was divided into different courts and each court was considered holy. The court of the Gentiles was the outer court of the temple and non-Jews were allowed in that area. Then as you walked further into the temple, each new court became more holy and more selective in who was allowed to enter. This reminds me of that, um, the bountiful tabernacle, the traveling tabernacle that they have. Um, we were able to go, let's see, I think it was me, Flora, Finn and Faust, were we all able to go? I can't remember. Um, but we all were able to go to this and it was true. They had like this super cool tabernacle outside one of the church buildings. And you did, you walked through each stage and you could see the different levels of holiness. And in the center was the Holy of Holies. And it was really cool. Um, and we got to do that last year. We need to go there again because it was a cool experience and dad never got to go. So um, so the first cleansing, when Christ arrived in Jerusalem for a previous Passover, a marketplace had been set up in the court of the Gentiles, the only place that Gentiles could come to pray. But it was made into a marketplace. And, like, I get it, because you had to have your sacrifice in order to get in. And if you didn't travel with your sacrifice, you needed to stop somewhere to get it. And how convenient would it be to have it right outside the temple, right? So... So I get that they were trying to do that, but that is a holy place and that is not where things need to be sold. Okay, looks like Flora woke up. Here we go. Okay, and then Jesus cleanses the temple the second time. I will say that I didn't know that he had to clean the temple two times. I just thought it was like a second account of, or another account of the same thing. So um, that's kind of cool to see that that's what it was. Um, I mean, I guess it's not cool to see because obviously we don't want to be doing that stuff at the temple, but what it says here is the second cleansing. Jesus had returned to Jerusalem and again, saw the marketplace on the temple grounds. Again, Jesus did not stand by, but he cast them out as he was doing. So he called the temple, my house and told them it is meant to be a house of prayer rather than a den of thieves. Thieves lived in caves, especially on common roads, travelers used on common roads, travelers used, and they would attack and steal from travelers as they walked from the village to village. So like the parable of the Good Samaritan, oh, excuse me. These people selling goods on the temple were acting like the den of thieves who were trying to get gain, just like a thief would try to get a good position along the road where they could hide and attack. These sellers wanted their spot where they could cheat people and change them enormous prices for the sacrifices to be offered, right? Like I was telling you, they had to buy sacrifices to offer. Um, and if we wonder about how Jesus felt about the temple, even though it was under evil leadership, these verses and the verses prior tell us when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he was often found at the temple, right? And I like, I love that. Um, and here, in these verses, after cleansing the grounds, the blind and the lame were brought to him, for neither could come on their own, and he healed them on that sacred ground, even while he offered so many others, or even while he offended so many others, uh, even while he offended so many, others came to him and he healed them. So he didn't really care about offending people because they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And he told them once to not sell there. And so now the second time, like, how many times we gotta tell you, right? 
while some were coming to Jesus to be healed, the Jewish leaders, even chief priests, who were the head of the Jewish rulers, saw all that was happening, and they were sore displeased. Everything that Jesus was doing was conspicuous from his triumphal entry and the cleansing of the temple and now healings at the temple where many could watch and see. So the children of uh, the children of the kingdom continued to cry Hosanna and the Jewish leaders asked Jesus if he heard what they were saying. Jesus replied, Yea, have ye never heard or have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. These new followers were as babes in the gospel, brand new believers. But even as they stood by the chief priests and scribes who came to be great scholars of the scripture, it was these babes who had perfected praise because they didn't know how to worship God. They, they didn't even acknowledge him in his presence, you know? So anyways, I just love that. Um, about the, t the temple and um, even Jesus had boundaries, you know? And it's good to uphold those boundaries at all times and create that um, peaceful place in your home or in your, um, in your lives so that you can connect with Christ in that place, in that safe, in that safe place. Um, something that I was thinking of though, is it's funny because nowadays there are temples that have enormous amount of space in parking lots and things, and you could totally have a children's market or an entrepreneur market or just like a boutique or like a holy cow boutique over there because there's so much space but that is not what that those grounds are used for people go to those grounds to like to worship even though people might still like i always see people in their cars even when the temple's closed people will be in their cars or people will have like taken picnics to go um have a picnic on temple grounds you know and it's just like that sacred place for people and Oh, excuse me. And it makes sense that the Lord would not want to ruin it with like all kinds of stuff. I remember when we went to Mexico, um, we went to Chichen Itza and it was so crazy. Like all the, the streets to get there were lined with vendors just trying to sell you literally the same thing at every booth. And it was even in Chichen Itza, when we finally got in, we were like, oh, good. We're finally there. We won't get harassed anymore. No, no, no. Around the whole thing, there were still people trying to sell stuff. Now, I don't know if this was like a temple that they used to have, um, but like, it's crazy to think that if we allowed people to sell in the temple, or around the temple like that that's what it would look like and that is it always it felt so yucky like trying to be sold to the whole time and you're just like you're trying to have like this peaceful moment you know looking at like all this amazing um amazing architecture from the people back then and you just can't you can't have too many peaceful moments because every moment every second you're gonna get interrupted by somebody wanting to sell you something hey did you need this hey did you need this did you want this no i don't i just want to be here you know and so i'm glad that they don't 
that the Lord does not allow us to do that with temples. And um, something else, though, if you go to New York City, it is interesting because the temple doesn't actually have a parking lot where you can't, like, it doesn't have space around it where you can worship. Like, literally, it looks like Times Square right there. And so there are going to be places that the temple is, but that even immediately around it, there's stores and there's vendors and there's things like that. Um, but when you get inside, that's when you're going to feel that peace. And it's like almost like an immediate change. You're like crazy, 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 crazy in the doors, peace right? And it's just kind of interesting because you think that the, that the Lord wouldn't want to build temples anywhere like that because it's too congested and too crazy. But um, the, the temple is a house of the Lord and he wants to make it accessible to everyone, especially people who are in busy, busy, crazy cities. And so if it needs to be built there, then that's what he's going to do. So anyway, you got to go to the New York, to the, to the New York city temple, or I can't remember which, what it's called. I think it's called New York city temple. Actually, it is called the Manhattan temple. So go check that out. Okay. And we are going to end there. We covered, um, Jesus's triumphal entry. We covered Zacchaeus. And we covered cleansing of the temple. Now there's more things that we could cover. Um, and where Jesus speaks of his death and resurrection again. Um, clearly he's trying to prepare everyone. Um, but they don't understand still. And then it covers how it is uh, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. Um and then Jesus curses the fig tree and he tells um, Pharisees, and Sadducees and everybody about the, where his authority is coming from. And then there's the parable of the wicked husbandman and then the parable of the marriage of the king's son, which there's the parable of the marriage of the king's son, which um elder bednar actually gave a talk about that also and it was really good okay and this last part is what think ye of christ and i did want to read that okay so it says while the pharisees were gathered together jesus asked them saying what think ye of christ whose son is he they say unto him the son of david he saith unto them how then doth david in spirit call him lord saying the Lord saith unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy, thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. And this was Matthew twenty-two forty-one to 46. And then in Luke 20, 39 to 34, 39 to 44. It's very similar. It says, Then a certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said, and after that they durst not ask him any questions at all. And he said unto them, How say that how say they that Christ is David's son? And David himself saith, In the book of Psalms, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies foot thy footstool. David therefore calleth him Lord, how is he? 
than his son. Okay, so while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus gave them a question. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? This question is about who they thought the Messiah was. And they gave the traditional answer that he was the son of David, which is such a small description of who the Messiah truly is. He is so much more than that. Some scholars suggest that they either did not know or had forgotten that Jesus was, in fact, a descendant of David when he gave this answer. Jesus responded by highlighting that the Messiah was much more than a descendant of David. He did this by referencing one of David's psalms when David called the Messiah Lord. Okay, there's a couple quotes. One by Elder Neil A. Maxwell says, however the world ignores or responds to it, this is the reverberating and the great question. Can we answer with both our lives and our tongues, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God? Until we can, whatever else we say and do will, in the end, make little difference. Ooh. Elder Neil A. Maxwell, October 1988, General Conference. And then Elder Neil L. Anderson says, Jesus asked the Pharisees, what think ye of Christ? In the final assessment, our personal discipleship will not be judged by friends or foes. Rather, as Paul said, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. At that day, the important question for each of us will be, what think, what thinks Christ of me? Ooh. Elder Neil L. Anderson, April 2012 General Conference. So, and it's true. It doesn't matter what our friends think of us. It only matters what Christ thinks of us. And it only matters what we think of Christ. And those are the important things in life. And if, if, if we, if Christ matters to us, what are we doing in our lives to make that a reality? And if Christ matters to us, or if we matter to Christ, what can we do to make sure that what we're doing is in line with what he has asked us to do? Okay, and then President Ezra Taft Benson, and we'll end with that one, this quote. Ezra Taft Benson says, Several years ago, a number of prominent theologians were asked this question. The question, what do you think of Christ? Or, sorry, what do you think of Jesus? Their replies startled many professed Christians. One asserted that a true Christian must reject the resurrection. Another admitted that New Testament scholars were so divided on the question that one cannot say anything certain about the historical Jesus. Another scholar and teacher of, Jesus, uh, of Jesuit priests explained, it is difficult to say in our age what the divinity of Jesus can mean. We are groping now for a new way to express it. We just don't know. In a public opinion poll conducted by George Gallup Jr., seven in 10 adult American respondents said they believed in the divinity of Christ. But 90% of these said that Jesus is divine only in the sense that he embodies the best that is all that is in all men. The, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints consents to no such ambigu ambiguity in relation to our position regarding Jesus Christ. End quote. President Ezra Taft Benson, come unto Christ, um, page two. So he wrote a book. Okay, and now I'm going to read The Living Christ, The Testimony of the Apostles, 
by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because I feel like that is an important um, piece of where we can begin our testimony. Okay, <clears throat> it says, oh man. I'm gonna try and get through it without being so emotional. Uh, I can't make any guarantees, okay? So, sometimes when I try not to cry, I feel like I'm suppressing the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and so I try not to do that very often and I just let the tears flow. But clearly I need to be able to read this so that you guys can get the feel of it and the words. Okay, as we commemorate the birth of Jesus Christ two millennia ago, we offer our testimony of the reality of his matchless life and the infinite virtue of his great atoning sacrifice. None other has had a profound an influence upon all who have lived and will yet live upon the earth. He was the great Jehovah of the Old Testament, the Messiah of the New. Under the direction of his father, he was the creator of the earth. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Though sinless, he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He went about doing good yet was despised for it. His gospel was a message of peace and goodwill. He entreated all to follow his example. He walked the roads of Palestine. Healing the sick, causing the blind to see, and raising the dead. He taught the truths of eternity and the, re the reality of our pre-mortal existence, the purpose of our life on earth, and the potential for the sons and daughters of God in the life to come. He instituted the sacrament as a reminder of his great atoning sacrifice. He was arrested and condemned on spurious charges, convicted to satisfy a mob, and sentenced to die on Calvary's cross. He gave his life to atone for the sins of all mankind. His was a great vicarious gift in behalf of all who would ever live upon the earth. We solemnly testify that his life, which is central to all human history, neither began in Bethlehem nor concluded on Calvary. He was the firstborn of the Father, the only begotten, uh, the only begotten Son in the flesh, the Redeemer of the world. He rose from the grave to become the first fruits of them that slept. As risen Lord, he visited among those he had loved in life. He also ministered among his other sheep in ancient America. In the modern world, he and his father appeared to the boy Joseph Smith, ushering in the long-promised dispensation of the fullness of times. Of the living Christ, the prophet Joseph wrote, His eyes were as a flame of fire, the hair of his head, was white like the pure snow. His countenance shone above the brightness of the sun, and his voice was as the sound of the rushing 
of great waters, even the voice of Jehovah saying, I am the first and the last. I am he who lived. I am he who was slain. I am your advocate with the Father. Of him, the prophet also declared, and now after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is a testimony last of all, which we give of him, that he lives. For we saw him even on the right hand of God, and we heard the voice bearing record that he is the only begotten of the Father, that by him and through him and of him, the worlds are and were created, and the inhabitants thereof are begotten sons and daughters of God. We declare in words of solemnity that his priesthood and his church have been restored upon the earth. Built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, we testify that he will someday return to earth, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. He will rule as King of kings and reign as Lord of lords, and every knee shall bend and every tongue shall speak in worship before him. Each of us will stand to be judged of him according to our works and the desires of our hearts. We bear testimony as his duly ordained apostles that Jesus is the living Christ, the immortal Son of God. He is the great King Emmanuel, who stands today on the right hand of his Father. He is the light of the life. Wait, he is the light, the life, and the hope of the world. His way is the path that leads to happiness in this life and eternal life in the world to come. God be thanked for the matchless gift of his divine son. And that was signed by the First Presidency. It was Gordon B. Hinckley, Thomas S. Bunsen, and James E. Faust, who signed on January 1st, 2000. And then the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Uh, and some of these awesome apostles have already passed away so it's a little bit sad but let me see if if you remember them boyd k packer l tom perry uh i can't read that handwriting right there neil a maxwell russell and nelson Dallin h oaks m russell ballard joseph w worthland richard g scott uh Robert D. Hales, Jeffrey R. Holland, Henry B. Eyring, and then there's this one that I can't get, I can't read. Oh, David A. Bednar? No, this one's not Elder Bednar. Elder Bednar was not an apostle at the time, just yet. But this one, hmm. You guys will have to tell me who it is on there. It's the third person down in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And I'm going to feel so silly because I'm sure that I know who it is, but I cannot read the handwriting. It, it looks more like something D, some starts with a D, and then there's a B, and then maybe ends in an R. <laughs> Anyways. Super amazing. That is certainly something we should be reading more often.
something we could be reading more often to strengthen our testimony uh, of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, we're going to end with that. Love you guys. And I hope you are loving each other always in everything that you do. We got to celebrate Dad's birthday yesterday. And we're going to continue to celebrate his birthday this weekend. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye.